for that. Well, we're going to pick up uh, where we left off three weeks ago, and I expect, of course, that everyone who was here then remembers everything that was said three weeks ago, uh, but uh, we'll do a little bit of review. If you'll turn to the book of 1 John once again, 1 John chapter 3, I'll begin reading at verse 11 and read down to the end of the chapter, 1 John chapter 3, verses 11 through 24. Uh, we've been in this study of 1 John recently. Uh, we spent some time in the, in, earlier in chapter 3 and then also in chapter 2 looking at the concept of abiding, uh, which is a, is a key concept that John focuses upon in this epistle. And in that, those earlier portions, he was talking about abiding with integrity or without deceit in the Lord and, in, and among each other and each other's presence. And he has gone on now in this passage to speak, uh, continue, to continue to speak about abiding, but this time with a focus upon knowledge, abiding in knowledge. That we're not just uh, abiding together with, you know, searching for warm fuzzies and hoping to have just a wonderful time together, um, never minding what anybody believes or thinks or whatever. We just all sit around a campfire and sing Kumbaya together. Uh, but there is actual, genuine knowledge that we are uh, should be aware of and have the ability to uh, attain by God's grace. And that's the focus uh, that we're taking a look at here in this latter part of John chapter 3, of abiding in knowledge uh, with our Lord and with each other. So with that, if you're able, please uh, stand with me for the reading of God's holy word. John chapter 3, I'll begin reading at verse 11. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. And God adds his blessing to the reading and hearing of his holy word. Please be seated. Another theme that John is dealing with, uh, if not directly, at least in an indirect fashion, 
uh, is the era of Gnosticism that was prevalent in his day. And as he is, uh, and I, I believe that he has shifted his focus to knowledge to really take that on. The Gnostics, of course, believed that they had a secret sort of knowledge that others did not possess, and they tried to foist it upon the church, and uh, the results were disastrous, caused great division, as heresy always does. And, um, you know, the, the fact is that I think that John is really telling us here is that, though in, in a rather indirect way, that the Gnostics, who thought they had all this secret knowledge about God, John makes it really plain here that this knowledge about God is really not that secret. That God has given it to his people. And we spent our time three weeks ago, and we looked at the first few verses here, the first aspect of this, I should say, um, that, that we do truly have the capacity to know much. And in fact, not just the capacity, but there is much that we know. We know that he has commanded us to love him. We know that we have attained and, and, and hold on to certain life in Jesus Christ. We know that we are loved, loved by him particularly, uh, because he first loved us. We know that we are of the truth. And you may remember from verses 19 through 21, those of you who are here uh, at that time, that uh, there's a little mini chiasm going on here uh, where uh, verse 19 and then verse 21 speak about assurance and then uh, 20 and the first half of uh, 21 uh, speak to the the freedom of conscience that we have in the Lord and all of it's founded upon that central thought there that God is the one who is present with us. We are in his presence and he knows everything. We're not walking around wondering uh, if, if we can know. We can know because the God who knows everything has revealed himself to us. And so we can walk with confident assurance in with clear consciences before God. And then the final thing that we looked at last time about what we are capable of knowing and what we, we should know if we've been reading his word uh, is that God abides in us. See that in verse 24 there. So these are the things that John says, this is what you know. You know all these things. And as, you, as we read through, perhaps you caught how many times this we know. We know, we know, we know. John's basically coming back to the Gnostics and saying, you think you have all this secret knowledge about God that you're ruining the church with, when what we really know is what binds us together, not divides us, because it's based in who God is, and he is the God who knows all and is knowable. But then the next question is, well, okay, how do we know those things? And John does not leave us in the dark. Um, those of you that uh, have done some uh, philosophical studies from time to time uh, will be familiar with the word epistemology. Right? Everybody know that word? Everybody? Yeah, lots of you know that word. And it basically has to do with how you know stuff. That's the layman's term. It's the methods and uh, the means by which we know things in the study of 
of that uh, uh, part of philosophy and understanding. You truly do have the means to know. John lays those things out. He gives us all kinds of indicators um, and, and, and methods and ways by which we can discern that we truly do know something and can come to know things. And so we're going to spend some time looking at that. Uh, the first thing, it's really foundational. It's there in verses 11 and 12. And also in verse 23, is, uh, uh, we see here that we know things by revelation. That should not come as a shocker to any of us. God has revealed himself in his word, um, through, uh, accompanied by, encouraged by the Spirit, uh, through his both through both commands and examples, and we see that there particularly in verses eleven and twelve, where you see the command that's been given. This is the message that you've heard that we should love one another, and then the example, kind of a the contrary example, a negative example of Cain, who did not love, who did not believe, and so murdered his brother. We have this uh, through. Through both examples and through direct commands, we can know. You know, uh, I, I was watching uh, a show on uh, the uh, BBC called Coast. I don't know if anybody's ever seen that. Um, it's a documentary doc, uh, kind of thing about well, the coast. Okay. Uh, in Britain, and it takes you around different different places in Britain, and I, the British coast fascinates me. I love it, and so I was watching this thing, and um, it was quite interesting in this one particular place. But as it turned out, this episode about the the uh, uh, this happened to be on the coast of Wales that, this, uh, that they were focusing upon. The whole purpose of that particular episode was to promote. Uh, the uh, religion of evolution. Because they went out with, say, well, see, here's the Welsh trilobites. And the Welsh trilobites prove that the earth is billions of years old. And, and, and they made a specific motion, mention the fact that even though the Bible says this, we know it is not true because these trilobites prove it. It was uh, a direct attack on the direct revelation of our Lord and what the Lord says. We know, we know that it wasn't created in six days because of these trilobites. You know, we all have, I, I love what the, what the folks at Answers in Genesis talk about here because they, they, they point out that we all have the same set of data, do we not? We all have the same, we have access to little trilobite fossils too. And every other fossil that there is. Um, when we were down in, uh, uh, we were in western Montana, south of Flathead Lake, and Karen and I were, oh yeah, we were up at the, the high point in the National Bison Range. Really cool thing to drive through, by the way. Um, little, you know, Chamber of Commerce moment here. But anyway, uh, at the very top of it, they had us, you know, inter interpretive plaque up there. It talked about this whole valley and how it used to be a huge lake. And uh, there were ice dams that formed and then they broke and then they went down. And, and where we were standing there, we were just a few feet above where the top of the lake would have been and we were at 4,600 feet or something. 
And uh, of course, there was no mention about the flood or anything like that. It's all, uh, you know, how many millennia ago it was. You know, the, the thing is, uh, we can all look at those things. We can recognize that, yeah, this was underwater at one time. Good. What do we do with that? Do we, do we just go with whatever science has to say, or do we say, all right, do we, do we uh, look at science through the lens of God's Word and what God has said, and where God is silent on certain things, then um, can we look at silent science to help us figure out certain things? Of course you can. There can be a back and forth. But the authority of God in His Word, in His revelation, has to be taken into account. And if it isn't, you will always end up in error. You can know and walk reasonably certainly through this world about what has happened and what's gone on. You may miss some of the details because we, you know, nobody was back there with a camcorder, right? Oh, wait a minute, a smartphone. Wow, I just dated myself there. Nobody was back there with those kinds of things. And yet, we have the evidence. We need to take God's word seriously. John says... You know these things. How do we know them? Well, it's because God has said it. And he's not only said what you're supposed to do, he, there's been examples that he's provided for you in that revelation to help you know both what to do and what to avoid, what not to do. Not to behave like Cain. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about Cain in a minute. Uh, but this is the primary means that we have to know. Is what has he said in his word? And then how do we take that word and put that grid up upon his revelation and say, all right, this is how I should understand these things. Secondly, um, we have means of knowing things. Uh, John particularly puts it this way. Um, you, you know by behavior. Now, there's your behavior. We'll talk, talk about that. But there's also, uh, if you allow me to put it this way, the Lord's behavior. There's a, there's a contrast here uh, that, that's really set up with the Cain example. As we're talking about abiding in this chapter, uh, abiding here, there's a contrast between abiding in death and abiding in life. And what you do, if you're going to abide in death or abide in life, it's dependent upon two things. <coughs> belief and love are the two things that John talks about here. Now, let's see how that plays out. It, the contrasting example is in verse 12. The, the one who does not, uh, does not love is the murderer. That's Cain. And then verses 14 through 17 is the positive statement of those things. Um, that we know that we've passed out of death into life because... That's why this is one of the means of knowing. We're talking about evidences here, of the reality of what's gone on in your life, bottom line. If the evidences are not there, uh, then uh, you're not going to be able to know these things with any certainty. We know that we've passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And, of course, that was Cain's issue you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. We're talking about sacrificial love for the brethren. Uh, in verse 12, 
there's a contrast again with Cain. Cain did not believe God. He didn't love God and he didn't really love his family. He certainly didn't love his brother. He was jealous. That hatred grew and he killed him. Instead of rejoicing in God's blessing upon Abel, all Cain could see was what he was deprived of and hated God for it and hated his brother for it. We should be selflessly rejoicing in God's blessing on others. Uh, that is part of sacrificially loving each other. And also, uh, if we look at verses 14 and 15, uh, there's this, this love and this care for one another and, and, and striving to um, provide and help, for one, help one another. This has to do with preserving a life, again, in contrast to Cain. Cain, or we could use the term promote if you prefer. To promote or preserve life in others is part of loving each other, uh, even at your own expense. Uh, take a look, if you will, at John, at, uh, sorry, John, Matthew chapter 5. A familiar passage, I'm sure, to most of you. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, beginning of verse 21. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So what is that saying to us? Again, this is looking at kind of the, the negative side of things here in terms of hatred and so on being expressed towards one another lack of love, lack of compassion, looking for harm and judgment to come upon others. That's not, Jesus said, that is not part of your vocabulary. It shouldn't be. By contrast, you should be promoting one another, striving to preserve their life. That's the flip side of thou shalt not kill. We need to be promoting life. That's part, at, at, at whatever cost that is to us, the sacrificial love that we see in the example of Jesus Christ, which we'll talk about here in a, a little bit more depth in a moment, um, should help us understand what John is getting at here. And in this, and, and the reason I say that this is at whatever cost is because that really seems to be what John is saying there in verses 16 and 17 of, uh, of the third chapter. He says, by this we know love. Here's the example of Christ. That he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But if anybody has, anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? This sacrificial love that is one of the means by which we know whether we're really abiding in life or, or not, shows, yes, a rejoicing in God's blessing on others and striving to preserve and promote uh, the life in others. It also has to do with your sacrifice for others. You sacrifice your life, if necessary. You sacrifice your possessions. But underlying all of that, perhaps in... in, in maybe underlying it, encapsulating it, whatever, uh, whatever image you want to have uh, there, is that this is not just you know, pro forma. We just go and do this because that's what we're supposed to do. 
you're sacrificing, yes, of your energy, you're sacrificing of your possessions, but there's your whole heart is involved. You're, do you ever... Um, do something charitable for somebody else. And this could be a complete and utter stranger, or it can be um, maybe even somebody you know who happens to be needy and they're always asking for stuff. And the next thing you know, it's like, okay, fine. But you kind of give it, not with, how do I put this tactfully? <laughs> Maybe there's no real way, tactful way to do it. We give it, but we almost resent it. Or we, we do it very guardedly. Like, we don't really want to go fully into this because, after all, what happens if they turn around and bite us or betray us or abandon us and all that stuff that we've been giving them and all that stuff we've been doing for them is for nothing? And it happens, doesn't it? Wonderful verse in Isaiah 58, verse 10, I think expands on the thought that is here uh, in, in uh, John's words. Isaiah 58, 10. If you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. We're not just called upon to sacrifice of our dollars and cents or even our time all of those things are important we're called upon to sacrifice our heart our compassion for others without regard for what it might cost us and that's hard because as we know people can hurt us and after a while, you can get jaded and don't want to help anybody. Because after all, I got, I got smacked for it. What's that uh, saying? A friend of mine is fond of saying, no good deed shall go unpunished. Sometimes it feels that way. But John calls upon us to give of ourselves out of, uh, as a demonstration, the means of knowing that we truly are abiding in God and He in us. Because if we're unwilling to do this, then how can God's love truly abide in us, John is saying. And we, as I mentioned before, Christ provides the supreme example of this kind of sacrificial love. In verse 16, which I've already read a couple of times now, he's the one who has laid down his life for us. In in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 15, Paul says the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost or the chief. He came into the world to save us, those who were his enemies, those who were opposed to him, those who are in rebellion against him. He didn't come to save the ones that already loved him. He came to the ones that hated him and gave us faith and gave us uh, repentance and gave us uh, a regenerated heart so that we might indeed respond to him in, in love and gratitude. I love what uh, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2 says also regarding this point. 
that we are to be looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter, or the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. When you listen to that verse, I'm going to read it one more time, and I want you to think about it in terms of what we just talked about as far as your love for others is concerned. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Did you notice any parallels with what John had been talking about for us? John talked about, through the negative example, instead of having resentment and so on towards others, but to have a joy in the well-being of others. Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, endured these things. Instead of taking life, Jesus set out to preserve and promote life as the author and finisher of our faith. And... um, As far as the sacrifice goes, he endured the cross, despising the shame. All those same elements are there. Jesus set the pattern for us to rejoice in others, to do all that we can uh, to promote God's life in others. I mean that both in the the physical sense of well-being, but also in the spiritual and emotional sense uh, that can be ours as we walk and abide in our Lord. And then, whatever sacrifice must, might be necessary, these are evidences, if those things are there, that, uh, and, and by which you can know that you are abiding in the Lord, and then others also can know that you're abiding in the Lord. Following the example of our Lord Jesus Christ, who sacrificially loved us, gave himself for us, died on the cross for us, rose again for us, now lives and intercedes for us. This is the blessing of our Savior. Another evidence, of one of the means of, that are indicated in our behavior has to do with um, integrity. Look at verse 18. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Now that doesn't mean that words and talk don't have a, a place. But uh, John's focus here is talk is cheap. Right? It's not just having saying the right words doesn't cut it. There needs to be reality behind those words. In other words, we love without hypocrisy. It's easy to say comforting words. It's easy to say encouraging words. It's easy to say um, holy sounding words. But the real evidence is whether or not we're living out what we say for others. That's why Peter says to uh, his audience in First, uh, first Peter uh, chapter 2 and verse 1, put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Get rid of that stuff and walk in a way that is honest with, with each other, honest in your love and your care and your compassion, your service for others, as well as your obedience unto the Lord. And that's The last evidence that we look at here under behavior is that you you truly do abide in in the Lord by your obedience. Verse uh, 24, um, 
Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God. I mean, you can, you can, and this is a, a frequent thing here in this epistle. The, the person who says, I love God, but you hate your brother, or you, you long after the things of the world more than the Lord himself, that talk is cheap. It doesn't mean anything except that, well, it does. It means you're a liar. So we need to be uh, demonstrating and we will be showing the reality of what's in us um, by our obedience. So there's the command to believe and the command to love. And those, these commands are, are um, stated here and intimated here as well in this, in this passage. Again, Cain didn't believe, so he was a murderer. He didn't love. We are to love. We are to believe. Notice here that uh, this is the commandment, verse 23, that we believe in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. There you have it in black and white. So this, these are means by which you may know um, that you are abiding in the Lord and who the Lord is through his revelation. So you know by that revelation, you know by... Uh, behavior, both your own and the example of Jesus Christ that he's given to us, uh, and know that we are loved and know that we are his. You also know, verse 22, uh, whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. Now, I could spend a lot of time on this point, and uh, another, another time we will spend more time on prayer and all that's wrapped up in that. Um, but to pray in faith believing is something that I think many of us struggle with. I mean, we pray in faith hoping. We, we pray in faith uh, with uh, some sort of anxious anticipation, perhaps. But to pray in faith believing is another thing entirely, is it not? And we read about saints in the past who who were able to pray this way and prayed with this, this sense that they knew that they were being heard and they saw answers to prayer come and hit them between the eyes and everything that they asked for was right there. I think George uh, Mueller was one uh, who prayed that way. And you just think, man, how, how did you do that? How, how do you, Lord sit down at a table of hungry street orphans with no food in the cupboards, nothing in the kitchen, sit down at dinner time and pray, Lord, bless us for the food that we are about to receive. And when he opens his eyes after saying amen, a knock on the door and there's a wagon full of food. Happened. During a, a, another occasion with Mueller, he's sailing across the Atlantic through pea soup, thick fog through Iceberg Alley, and everybody's anxious. Mueller's in the cabin uh, praying. The captain knew he was on there, knew his reputation, and uh, was all nervous and wanted Mueller to come and, and, and uh, you know, basically pray them through. And, and Mueller's like, what are you anxious about? I've already been, <laughs> I've already been doing that. <laughs> and, the, you know, and, uh, the lift, and what he was particularly praying for was that the fog would clear, and the fog which was not supposed to clear at that time of year, just went away, and they avoided the icebergs, made it safely, made their way safely to, I guess, New York. They were going that direction. You know, it, 
that kind of confident praying is not just something that we have from, you know, this one guy. Uh, look at the prayer of the psalmist. Look at the prayer of people like Hezekiah praying that the sun would go back, you know, uh, a little bit of time. Um, praying for, uh, here's Moses going and standing before the Red Sea. You ever really thought about Moses standing before the Red Sea going, okay, Lord, here, I'm going to hold my staff up. What would you have done? Or, you know, Elijah praying that the rain would come when there had been seven years of drought. And he prays and prays and prays. And suddenly he sees a little cloud, little cloud off on the horizon. And I love what it says there. He picked up his skirts, you know, he's got the long robe, and ran. And he outran the chariots to outrun the rain that poured down. Or standing on Mount Carmel. And standing there with the prophets of of Baal over here with their sacrifice and all their chanting and all this stuff that they've got going on. And here's his solitary altar, drowned in water, and just sits there and prays and said, Lord, show us. Down it comes. You know, we don't often pray that way, do we? We're a little timid. Maybe one of the reasons is perhaps we don't know God as well as we think we do. And we need to go back to that revelation part and meditate more upon who he is. So we pray more confidently. I said I wasn't going to get on the big rabbit trail on that, but we need one of the evidences that we know him is answered prayer. We know that he abides with us. And I, I'm pretty sure that all of us could, could think back in our lives and think of times, whether it was in simple things or in monumental things, that we saw evidence of the Lord's hand uh, entering into that particular situation in, in what, at least what appears to us is we prayed and he answered whether it's for safety or for recovery of health or some financial help or whatever, the weather, um, whatever we're, we're asking for, uh, we've seen the Lord answer those prayers. We ought to take encouragement by that. John says this is one of the ways that you can know that you're abiding in the Lord. He answers prayer. He answers prayer. And then finally, verse 24 you know by the ministry of the Spirit. The Spirit of God has been given to us as a guarantee. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. The, the, the pledge of God's faithfulness to us is the giving us of the Spirit who, who guides us, comforts us, convicts us, uh, teaches us all things that, uh, concerning Christ as He revealed Himself to us in His Word, uh, who, who testifies to our spirit that we are His. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul says, It is God who establishes us, and this same kind of thought as abiding, uh, establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us, and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Now, there are some things uh, as we walk through life that are, this is Captain Obvious here, that are difficult. And sometimes we can wonder 
Where is the Lord in these things? And certainly, um, the wicked have no hesitation whatsoever anytime that Christians get into hardship going, yeah, well, where's your God now? They did it to Christ on the cross. They do it to his people now. And sometimes the only thing that we can actually come back to them and say is that I know that the Lord is with me because he's given me a peace and a contentment in my heart, a surety through his word that can only come from the Holy Spirit, not from these circumstances, not because I have all the answers. And that's something the world cannot understand. The world only wants to have peace when they got all the answers down. When they, when they figured it all out, then we'll have peace. The world doesn't want to hear that they can have peace outside of themselves. A peace that passes understanding. But that's what we have in the Lord Jesus Christ through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. These are, the, these are how you know that we've been commanded to love. This is how you know that you have certain life in Christ and how you know that you are loved by Him. How you know that you are one with Him and abiding in Him and He's abiding in you. Through His revelation, through the evidences that are, are, are manifest in our lives, through the example of the Lord Jesus Christ, through the prayers that He answers, and through the ministry of the Spirit in our hearts as we read His Word and pray and fellowship with the saints and spend time with Him. We can know these things. And he's given us the means by which we may know them. As I mentioned a few weeks ago, the church is in confusion. Even once solidly grounded denominations are succumbing to the chaos of the age. A chaos that's spawned and encouraged by a culture in which emotion, not knowledge, reigns. But biblical Christianity is an abiding relationship that is grounded in sure and certain knowledge. You can know what is true. And God has granted the means to obtain that knowledge. Yours is not a faith of blissful ignorance, but settled faith. Come, let us reason together, says the Lord. And with reason comes proper worship and godly living, as we are guided by his perfect revelation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your precious word. I thank you that you have not seen fit to leave us in the dark. Well, there are many things about you and, and how you maintain the universe and all of that, Lord, that we just are incapable of knowing. There is so much that we do know. The things that we must know in order to have a relationship with you. We thank you for that. We thank you that you've given that to us. Help us to rest in that. Help us not simply to look at how we feel about you, but Lord, help us to know first and then feel uh, appropriately uh, in light of your revelation. Lord, let us be diligent students of the word that we would rightly divide the word of truth and not be ashamed in the midst of this crooked and perverse generation. Give us light, give us courage, give us zeal as we walk according to our knowledge of you by your grace. In Jesus' name we pray.